Taking up your cross, suffering and sacrificing have been superseded with name it and claim it. And as dark as I know it looks out there, the good news is that God is advancing his kingdom. And it's very exciting to be a part of his great commission. It's Sheila Zelensky. The Sheila Zelensky Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now. Here is your host, and time watchwoman, Sheila Zelinsky. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Monday, May 25th edition of the Sheila Zelinsky Show. My guest today, folks, is our good friend Danny Morano. Dr. Morano is back to talk about a subject that I think is very timely considering what we're up against in this world. We know that evil is ramping up. And today our teaching is everything you wanted to know about demons, but were afraid to ask the nature of demons, how they operate, how to know if you're demonized and how to get free. So welcome to the program, Danny Morano. Thank you, Sheila. Great to be with you again. It's so good to have you back on. Really thrilled that you're a regular guest. So, Danny, you're a powerful deliverance minister. You and I do a lot of deliverance. And one of my biggest bones of contention really frustrates me and how convenient it is that not only will today's pastors and churches not deal with deliverance or demons, but they even go to the point of saying, how can a Christian be demonized? People don't even believe that a Christian really can have a demon, do they? Why is this? Well, there's several reasons. I mean, of course, we've talked about, when I was on your show before, the whole sinner's prayer gospel phenomenon, which I've written a book about. And it really starts there, that once we start to compromise the gospel on so many levels and at so many different points, at some point it doesn't allow for these things to be true anymore. Okay? Now, let's just look at that. If people are told, and this is... The basic understanding, I mean, whether it's literally verbalized this way from the pulpit or not, it's the understanding that people have, that when people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, when they accept him as their personal savior, okay, but, you know, that's kind of the Christianese that we use in the modern churches, they say the sinner's prayer, they come to the altar and say the prayer, with the pastors or the leaders to receive Christ into their hearts. It's it's inferred, if not spoken out, that everything happens at this point for the believer, that everything is taken care of. In other words, their sins are forgiven and washed away. They're born again. 
they received the Holy Spirit and everything that had to do with the devil and with the evil kingdom is gone because they've now made the confession of having Jesus Christ as their Lord. And now Jesus has come into their heart and he's eradicated everything that used to be associated with their sinful life, which, of course, within just a couple of weeks of their new experience, this is disproven. All right. As people continue to struggle with alcoholism, continue to struggle with drug addiction, continue to struggle with whatever habits there may be, mindsets, torments that they've had. And this is what's confusing for people because their understanding was that, you know, their whole world changed. And and, and I used to preach this too, Sheila. I mean, we were taught uh, how to preach this, you know, from this very moment, you know, you have transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. All things are new. The world is never going to be the same. You know, all this kind of stuff that we teach is appropriated merely by making this confession. And of course, this is not backed up by scripture. I mean, now there can be such a supernatural experience, but I stress supernatural experience where you can have a person who comes. And I mean, I've had this in my ministry, not often, but I have had it where someone has come and the Holy Spirit has been able to work so powerfully and so completely at that moment in time as to bring that person under the power of God. Demons were cast out. The person confessed Christ, received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay, with evidence of speaking in tongues, and completely cleansed, and life was started over for them. But, of course, that's not what we see happening in most church services today. Most of the time, this is just a, a kind of, I call it a Gnostic experience. It's an intellectual or emotional experience that's not accompanied by a lot of outward demonstration. It's just kind of a mental an emotional agreement with the truths, if they're even presented fully and correctly, concerning Christ's sacrifice for us and his resurrection, you know, and it's based on Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, you shall be saved. And, and so this whole thing is based on just one scripture giving this whole church culture the idea that once a person makes this confession, and if they really mean it from their hearts, and it's genuine, then Jesus Christ comes into their hearts, and all that other stuff is in the past. The other scripture they use is, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. And of course that is true if we are in Christ. But there's a whole lot more around that than just confessing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Right. Well, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. What's interesting is that a lot of Christians, Danny, they have this scripture wrong. They, they pretty much put a period after the word, for we do not wrestle. 
<laughs> they don't mm-hmm. think we have to wrestle against anything. Now, if you think about a boxing match, you exchange certain blows, but wrestling is pretty much full total combat. We are in full combat here with the dark world. And now there's no Old Testament record of driving out evil spirits, but it's interesting that when Jesus began his ministry, it's very compelling how he deals with demons and evil spirits. In Mark one twenty three, though, the best translation would be the man was under the influence of an unclean spirit, and the spirit cried out, let us alone. I know you are the son of God. They knew instantly who Jesus was. And it's so interesting that Jesus did not deal with the man. He dealt with the spirit or the spirits in the man. And I always think it's so fascinating. You know, the word demonize for people, it really kind of donates this creepy visual, you know, where your head spins around five times like the exorcist. But Think of it like this, folks. If you were drinking alcohol, you are under the influence of alcohol. So it's kind of like being under the influence of demons. So afflicted and affected would be a better way to put it instead of being being completely possessed, right? Well, it can be. But just like with substances, like you're saying, you don't start right off with, uh, you know, drinking a couple of fifths of scotch a day, right? Right. You start off with a drink or two, and then it's more, and then it's more, and then eventually you get to this place where this substance is completely controlling your life, okay, and can be found in great levels in your bloodstream, almost to the point where someone might think that some of your blood is that substance, right? So it's the same thing with demons. Demons start from the outside. They start through sinful practices or they start through the sins or violations of others upon a person, which definitely comes under what you said, being afflicted or being affected or tormented from the outside. Uh, It can also come in through the embracing of the doctrines that demons preach, right? Getting involved in certain religious practices or occult practices or whatever the case may be. And you open yourself more and more and more and more to the influence of this entity. And eventually there comes a point, it's very hard to scientifically pinpoint it because it's a spiritual matter, but there comes a point where there's the possibility of entry, where this spirit can enter into the person's soul itself. As I say, where that point is, is not easily discerned but it can be recognized. And there's clearly a difference, and I have experienced it personally and directly many times in my ministry. There is a difference between someone who is being oppressed or tormented or afflicted from the outside and when someone has gone so far as to these spirits actually occupying the person. And we see that Jesus cast the spirits out. And the language that's used in the Greek in the New Testament speaks of casting the spirits out. He called the spirits out. And notice in the the man that is referred to as legion because he had a legion of demons inside of him. Remember, they tied him to the rocks because they didn't know what to do. I mean, the man was just completely possessed with many demons. Jesus came upon him. 
the scripture tells us, in the island of Gadarenes, and the demons drove the man to the feet of Christ, which speaks of what you spoke about, their submission to Christ because they knew who he was. They begged if they were to be cast out of the man that they could at least go into these swine, into the animals, right? Right. So we see clearly that demons do enter into flesh and blood. Again, as I always say, Satan counterfeits everything that God does, right? So we speak of under the new covenant that we ourselves, I think we spoke about this a lot in our last interview, we are God's temple as Christians, right? And God expects to take up residence within us, right? The Holy Spirit literally comes into our vessel and takes up residence within us. He possesses us. Those of us who truly receive the Holy Spirit, okay, the way the scripture says to receive him. So, of course, Satan, he counterfeits this. And his demons want to do the same for evil purposes. Now, the reason, and I think this is why a lot of people don't understand, because the teaching on demons is so limited because we are lacking a lot of information due to the wonderful doctrine of demons once again of canonization okay where certain men who in my opinion i see no evidence that they possessed the holy spirit they were mere men walking by their you know fallen intellect they were smart men intelligent men but i see no evidence that they were holy spirit filled men made decisions to incorporate certain scriptures into what we now call the book or the books, Biblos, in both Greek and Latin, which means book, and that's where we get the word Bible, okay? So we're missing some scriptures that are clearly quoted in other letters and scriptures within our Bible that let us know that they were once seen as inspired scripture, and the teachings that were lost with those books were also lost to the church, and in my opinion, not without design, okay? For instance, books like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, these teach the origin of demons, okay? The church as we know it, the Christian church today as we know, which I refer to as the counterfeit church system, does not teach correctly concerning the origin of demons. Mostly it is taught that demons are fallen angels. This is incorrect. Demons are not fallen angels. Demons are the offspring of fallen angels. What the heck am I talking about? Well, what I'm talking about, which is explained to us in these other inspired writings, alluded to in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 4, we only have a little snippet there. And the reason we only have a little snippet is because it's explained completely in other scriptures. So why run a rerun when we already have that book? You see how that works? So, we're told clearly in these other inspired writings about something that occurred at the very beginning of time, which was a certain group of angels called the Watchers who were assigned by God, sent to earth by the Lord initially to be type of a type of security force to actually keep humans from going too far in their wickedness, actually defected. 
and were seduced by the beauty of the human women and for whatever other reasons, okay, decided to spawn their own race. And they entered into sexual union with these women and they created humanoids or hybrids called what we call Nephilim or giants. Okay, these were humanoids that possessed celestial seed, which came from their father angels, and human seed, which came from their human mothers. And they were giants in size, giants in intellect, giants in strength, and giants in spiritual power. Because remember, they were half angel, half men. Okay, well, these wicked beings were not created in the image of God. Okay, they were created in the image of fallen angels. And they had the motivations and the teachings and the rearing and the, the spiritual character of their fathers, which was wickedness, fallen angels. And they perpetrated much, 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 much wickedness on the earth to the point, I believe, where ultimately the Lord had to destroy the earth because of all the wickedness that these evil beings were doing. There's much, much more to the story. I don't want to take up the whole hour with that history. But for people who want to learn all about that, please get my book, Who Are the Aliens? I've explained it in great detail and included the scriptures in there. You'll, you'll get the whole teaching on the origin of demons in my book, Who Are the Aliens? But anyway, God's judgment of these hybrid beings, these giants, was first to turn them one on, on, on the other, to get them to kill each other, and also through the flood. However, they died, okay, along with the hybrid monsters they created, I believe by engaging in, in sexual perversion with animals. God wiped all that out with the flood. But there's something very telling in the book of Enoch that makes it clear to us where the demons came from, and that is this. That part of the judgment of these beings was that they would lose their physical bodies, but their spirits would remain tormented on the earth. And they, in fact, would go to torment and afflict and oppress, as we've said they do to men, that they would go forth to do this. And this would be part of their judgment. They would be, as Jesus spoke about later in the Gospels, they would be restless spirits, evil spirits in the earth who could not find rest. Remember Jesus talked about when an evil spirit is cast out of a man, it goes into dry places, he said, and it searches for another house to dwell in, speaking of another human body. When it does not find another human body to dwell in, it returns to the first one that it left. And if it finds the house swept and clean, it decides to go back in. But not only does it go back in, but it goes and gets seven other demons and they go back into this man and the state of that man is worse then than at the beginning. Okay, this comes from the concept of demons always wanting to inhabit flesh and blood. We, the next question is very rudimentary, right? Why would they want to inhabit flesh and blood? Fallen angels apparently don't want to or cannot inhabit flesh and blood, 
they mated with flesh and blood, okay? And they created these beings, but they did not inhabit. So why would the demons now, another class of being lower than the fallen angels, why would they want to inhabit flesh and blood? In a way, like Jesus explains, like they feel naked. They feel they've been stripped of something. They feel like they have to return to something which belongs to them. Well, the explanation is found in the teaching which Satan has robbed from the church, from the book of Enoch, which tells us clearly that they once inhabited bodies. They were born in a humanoid frame of the Nephilim, of the giants. And the judgment was for them to be cast out of these bodies. And so all the lusts and the pleasures and the things that they had experienced in their flesh and blood container, they were not able to do anymore because now they were nephil. Another translation for nephila or nephil in the original language is ghost or mist or fog. Many times when I've cast out demons, I've seen them and others have seen them leave the person and it looks like a mist right. or a fog. Look at the phenomenon of ghosts that people see in houses, right? They're very foggy. They're misty. They are disembodied spirits. And that's what demons are. Demons are disembodied spirits. So this is where we get the origin of the phenomenon of demon possession. It's very important for us to understand that. Why? Why demon possession? Why do these spirits feel the need to inhabit human bodies? Or even if they can't get human bodies, animal bodies. Why do they want to do that? Because they're unclothed, they've been disembodied, they've been stripped of the vehicle of the flesh wherewith to act out their wicked acts and feel their pleasures. Disembodied spirits are really working out their lusts and their appetites through mankind. Exactly. And that's why people who become eventually demon-possessed will testify later to the fact, I don't know why I was doing that. I never wanted to do that, but I felt driven to do it. And of course, now this other doctrine of demons, psychology or psychiatry, okay, that has influenced the counterfeit church to a great deal. That's why we have all this counseling going on yes. instead of deliverance ministry. Instead of demons being cast out, people are being counseled while demons sit inside laughing because no counseling casts out demons. Only the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit drives demons out. Now they just ship them off to a psych ward or hop them up on Big Pharma. That's sad, isn't it? And I mean, the manifestations are clear. If someone knows the scripture and compares so many of these manifestations that are experienced, uh, by those who witness these people in these places, they're clearly demon possession. But again, like I said, if the doctrine's been established that that's not possible, then we come up with explanations, human explanations, multiple personality, schizophrenia, 
chemical imbalance, bipolar, all a human attempts to explain something that we truly know is a spiritual phenomenon. Yeah. But because we have been raped of scriptural authority and understanding and have been told we can only rely on doctrines and traditions of men, therefore we accept these explanations. But notice, none of these explanations yield the results. The people are never set free. Well, you're right. You cannot talk out a demon. You cannot counsel out a demon. You expel them. When we look at Jesus' ministry, the word says there that he went preaching and continued expelling many demons. In other words, it was a regular practice of Jesus to cast out demons. The fact that it is not one isolated incidence, but he continued to do so throughout his ministry. And notice in Luke 4.14, it brings out, they brought the sick to him, but demons also came out of many. So we see the ministry of healing and deliverance are interwoven. They brought the sick, but in many cases, their cure demanded the expelling of evil spirits. Look at Luke 13, 11 through 16, the spirit of infirmity he had for 18 years. Physical problems are caused by a spirit, blindness, dumbness, deafness. It's all physical. And a third of his ministry was healing and deliverance. So it's really something we ought to be paying attention to because Jesus also, get this folks, in Matthew 10, 1, you can write this scripture down. He gave them power over unclean spirits and to heal all kinds of of sickness and disease. And notice the first thing he did was he gave them authority to deal with evil spirits. No one was ever sent out to evangelize without first dealing with evil spirits. Yeah, but there's another side to that coin, isn't there, Sheila? They also were not sent out without receiving the Holy Spirit. Right. So if we have carnalized the gospel, then we can't believe in the other side of the the spiritual spectrum either completely, right? We've rejected the supernatural character of the gospel by rejecting the infilling or the baptism, the possession of the Holy Spirit in believers. So therefore, the only people that will cast out demons are people who have the Holy Spirit, right? That's why Jesus cast out demons. He had the Spirit of God without measure abiding within him. And his apostles and followers at the beginning also received that endowment from Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit, to come and indwell them so that they could have power over the demons. Now, Jesus gave them a temporary measure of the anointing upon them to do that work when he sent them out in the Gospels. But for them to live that out for a lifetime, they needed to receive the Holy Spirit themselves. So that has been bastardized completely in the counterfeit church, where because of all these doctrines of demons that we've been talking about, the demons themselves and the fallen angels have been the perpetrators of causing man to rely on his intellectual powers and deny the supernatural aspect of the gospel. And at best to say, well, yes, Jesus had this and the apostles had that, but that was just to get the church started. 
But afterward, the flesh was enough, which, I mean, if you listen to me say it, it sounds so retarded. But this is what the church is practicing, that that is not for today, that that ended 1,900 years ago. So therefore, if we believe that we don't need the power of the Holy Spirit, why would we believe that demon possession is so rampant? You see, both sides of that coin fit together in a disbelief of the supernatural. But why would they phase out what he absolutely commissioned, the 12, the 70, in Matthew 10, 8, when he told them to go preach the kingdom? There was a contingency there. He commanded them to what? Heal the sick, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. It was all inclusive in evangelizing. Jesus said to them, which he is saying to us today, things I taught you to do then, I mean, how much clearer does it get? These signs shall follow. Well, what's the sign? In my name, they shall cast out demons, Mark sixteen seventeen. So if Jesus is teaching them to do what they learned, the pattern and commission of Jesus Christ is to cast out devils. Yeah, and the pattern and commission of fallen angels and demons is to turn that around and get Christians to to trust in their intellectual powers. This is what happens all the time. Let's let's take it into a natural illustration so our listeners can understand it a little more down to earth. It's like a spoiled son who inherits a company from his father. Okay? The father went through all the sweat and blood and tears and grit and grime and battles and wars and all the things that he had to do to create this wonderful, prosperous business, right? While he was doing that, the son was just living off the spoils, just reaping the benefits of the father's labor and warfare. But he himself never had to pay the price for that, okay? Well, we have the same thing in the spiritual dimension, where the apostles, for instance, and the first generation, second generation of church fathers, for instance, paid such a heavy price to walk in the gospel, to stand for Christ. They were persecuted, they were martyred, uh, they were ostracized, they lost family, friends, career. They had to give all, up all for Christ like Jesus preached. But as time went on, and especially once we entered into the Constantinian era, where Satan pulled his greatest trick out of his hat of tricks and decided if you can't beat them, join them. I'm wasting my time killing these Christians. All I'm doing is planting seed in the ground and more of them are popping up. You know what? Let me turn my strategy around. Let's infiltrate this supposed ecclesia, this gathering together of the called out ones, this church with our own people to a point where it becomes a mixture and they can't tell one from the other. In fact, let's even give it state sanction, state support, and eventually state ordination and state tax exemption. And let's exalt these leaders in the flesh Let's give them titles and offices and benefits and privileges that come from the state. Let's make them feel like 
governing officials. The only difference is that they're acting it out in ecclesiastical capacity instead of a judicial capacity or an empirical capacity. So this is what happened. And what happened was God wanted the gospel to go to the Gentiles. But one negative aspect of the Gentile church was just like the Hebrew church or the Jewish church was contaminated by those who were sent in by Satan to keep people under the law of Moses when it was finished. And the gospel didn't need that any longer. On the Gentile side of the coin, those posing as believers brought in the mixtures of philosophy and stoicism and Gnosticism and different belief systems that came from the pagan cultures, okay, and the false religions of the temples of the Gentiles mixed together with the Christian message. And of course, the Greeks were what? Children of the mind. And, and so the Latins, from whence we get the Roman, the Holy Roman Catholic tradition, they adopted the thinking of the Greeks. They adopted the worldly culture of the Greeks. And so that's what came into the Roman Catholic Church. So when Constantine, as the actual seed of the Roman Catholic Church, as a Roman emperor who decided to become a priest as well, in a sense, and bring the priesthood or the pastorate under his control, now you had a mixture of the worship of the mind and the tradition of the scriptures and the spirit. And eventually what happened, Satan was able to achieve his goal. He pushed the Holy Spirit out of the church. He usurped the Holy Spirit's position of authority and rulership in the church by the ecclesiastical hierarchy of the clergy. Even in the most postmodern setting, the most contemporary hip setting here in the States or Canada or Western Europe, there's this pastor worship or emphasis on a human leadership, a hierarchy, a clergy, a group of professional ministers, those who, because they've been taught, they've been trained, book learned to represent God to the people. So Satan was able to replace the Holy Spirit with the spirit of the ecclesiastical hierarchy, the clergy. And this was one of his greatest feats. And we're struggling with that today. And these are men whose position, whose credentials are credentials based on flesh and blood criteria, not on being filled in the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit, and even, sad to say, being masters of understanding and bringing understanding about the scriptures. Well, let's talk about ways people can know, Danny, if a demon is at work, demons or a demon is at work in their life, because I really believe that demons have two primary objectives keeping people from knowing Christ and keeping people from serving Christ effectively. And I always kind of think of the flesh as kind of like a 
carcass and demons are like the vultures that settle on the carcass. So if you're a committed Christian and you fast and you pray and you read your Bible, yet you have something continually afflicting, affecting, aggravating you, tormenting you, feeling in bondage, you can be sure you're dealing with demons. So the best way to explain it is demons entice, they harass, they torment, they compel. In other words, compulsive behaviors, addictions. It can be drugs, alcohol, gluttony. TV's an addiction. Internet's an addiction. They enslave. So if you have an intense drive to continually commit sin, defilement, so making you feel unclean, not good enough, God doesn't love you. Deception is a big one. And I really believe, Danny, that pride opens the door for a lot of this stuff. Would you agree? Well, pride definitely opens the door for the more sneaky ones. You see, a lot of these things that you've addressed are sins of the flesh, we would call, sins of the body, committed through the body. But the sneakier ones, the ones that are really driving what I just talked about, which gives the whole culture to the church, right, the whole religious spirit, these are definitely bringing in a spirit of pride. But you know what you know what people don't understand is you know the stronghold for instance that the apostle Paul talks about in, right. in his writings, right? Those strongholds are not the demons themselves. He talks about lofty towers in the imagination. He talks about the thinking process. These are strongholds that begin in the mind of man. And I believe as these strongholds cement themselves and and get more and more ingrained, demons are able to enter into that and energize that. And that's the most deceptive because these demons masquerade as doers of good, of an outward appearance of righteousness. I believe in Revelation when it speaks about Babylon being a a habitation of every foul spirit and and wicked vultures, like you're saying, and creeping and crawling things. It's speaking of the nastiest of spirits. And what does it talk about? It talks about this Babylon being arrayed in fine linen and purple and gold and what do we think of when we think of that? I know what jumps into my mind. I think about Vatican City. How many of the foulest of evil religious demons and perhaps even fallen angels have made their home under that false religious covering? Okay? And you can take that down all the way down to her daughters today, Protestant churches and the contemporary and independent churches that have come out of that same tradition. These are what Paul's talking about, I believe, when he talks about doctrines of demons and seducing spirits. Now, what you're talking about on an individual level is, yes, if something is compelling me beyond my own desire and my own will, and I feel that I'm totally out of control with something, something else is controlling me, uh, like you're saying, where I cannot get control of it, even if I want to, it's a very strong possibility that there's a demonic activity involved there. Also, the things that I've been involved with, 
I have to analyze. And this is what Christians don't understand, and especially those Christians that we talked about at the beginning, who have been told all they have to do is accept Christ as their Savior. Well, if these people, for instance, have come out of very lewd and perverse lifestyles where they've been exposed to demon activity and demons have entered them, they've been involved in the occult. They've been involved in New Age, yoga, all these things that appear so innocent on the surface that Christians are still involved in. Because remember what I said at the beginning, if the house is not filled, if it's been swept and clean only by religion, then other spirits will enter in. I've met many non-denominational community church, seeker-friendly church type of denominational church type people who deny the Holy Spirit and don't want the baptism and all this other stuff, but yet on the other side, they're involved in yoga. Danny, do Christians doing yoga realize that these are poses to Hindu gods? I don't know if I like think like that people like really know that because like people are like so shallow like they're only <laughs> doing it for like physical like exercise like reasons you see what i mean i remember you know when i was growing up in the 70s this yoga thing came in and they were and of course they don't people americans especially okay americans canadians and such they don't do their due diligence. They don't look at the origin of something. Where did it come from? What's its origins? Where did it start? The people who started doing this, what was their motivation? What were they trying to achieve? Who were they trying to come into contact with, right? So in other words, you got Tibetan monks up there, which I believe many of them are demonized, up there meditating, doing the same thing, but they'll tell you they're doing that for spiritual reasons to come into contact with the universal spirit, right? Which we know to be demon spirits and so right. on. But yet people in the West have been sold this on a more esoteric inner health to go along with your outward health program. But it's the same thing in martial arts. I've dealt with many guys that have been involved in martial arts. I've had to cast demons out. Of them. Absolutely. When you really get into martial arts, you'll learn that the real energy, the kundalini and all that kind of direction there, eventually if you get into martial arts and you really want to succeed and, and rise to a place of really being effective, you have to take on the spiritual side of it at some point. And that's where the demons enter in. You see? And it's the same with New Age and Buddhism, all this kind of getting into meditation. Because you got to realize, anytime you get into an altered state, you're entering into a spiritual dimension. That's why those who get into hallucinatory drugs are also very open to demon possession because they're getting into an altered state of consciousness where they're entering into the spiritual world and they're opening their soul and their spirit up to spiritual in contact with spiritual entities. The same way with occult practices. Pantheism, Monism, Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism's huge, Buddhism, yeah. like you said, any New Age or occult, yoga, like you said, martial arts. And the other huge one is Freemasonry. A lot of people kind of joke and go, oh, you know, I'm a, my grandpa's a Freemason. It's no big deal. They're, they're stone builders, Danny. Yes. My dad is a Shriner. Oh, because it's so innocent. Yes. 
again, it doesn't always have to be direct demon possession either, but you come under that umbrella. Like, you know, they talk about in the counterfeit church, all this covering stuff, right? Submission and covering. You need to come under the umbrella of this church. Right. Uh, you need to come under the covering of this ministry. This comes from that same world of coming under the spiritual influence of the spirits that are operating. Now, those spirits don't have to necessarily enter in to every person, but they're running the show at the top. Look at the lure and the lust and the, well, porn is a trillion dollar industry. You got to think that men can access the most vile filth at the click of a mouse now. Whereas, you know, before in the seventies, you might have to drive to some seedy part of town and go in a video store. I mean, you can access a ubiquitous plethora of moral perversions. And it's so interesting, not just the moral perversions, but I mean, any TV lineup, you've got walking dead, zombies, vampires, aliens, ghost hunters. I mean, it's like we're classically conditioned to accept all sorts of perversions. That's right. And the thing is, if you get into an inordinate diet of these things, your spirit is opening slowly but surely all the time more and more to the influence of this. And eventually, those spirits will attempt to make literal contact. That Jody, I'm thinking of that Jodie Foster film years ago, right? Contact. Where she was trying to contact with the aliens, okay, which again, the aliens, who are they? Fallen angels, demons, hybrids, okay? So attempting to make contact. So these spirits are making or attempting to make contact through these mediums that you just mentioned. Once they establish a strong enough contact, we talk about portals out there in space, right, that there are portals that spirits are coming through. Well, we are portals, right, in a sense. We are vessels and we are portals that spirits can enter into and through and so, right? So these demons will look for a portal of human entry, a human portal of entry, and if they can enter, they will. So the question is this. Can a Christian have a demon? Absolutely. Especially the kind of Christians we're talking about. Let me break this down real fast, and maybe another time we can get into it more, but just to give the people an idea. Number one, these sinners prayer gospel Christians, are they really born again? Have they truly been born of the Spirit? Maybe they're not. Maybe they've just assented to some Christian truths, and they're still unregenerate men. They're still dead in their sins. But they're going to church, right, which doesn't require much, and the demons are not aggravated by what they hear there because most of what they hear there they made up. They're very comfortable with it. They enjoy hearing their stuff being talked back to them. It's, it's a good show for them. So those people absolutely can still have their house full of demons, and you would never know because of the people there are not Holy Spirit filled and moving by the Holy Spirit. There's no conviction, there's no manifestation, and there's no deliverance from those demons. Secondly, Christians who, yes, maybe they've had the born-again experience, and they've come to Christ, but they've been told, like we said, that all these things just automatically go upon confession of sin. Well, do we really believe and do we really see the evidence of people just saying this 
prayer or, uh, or confessing their sins that people that have been involved in the occult or in sexual perversion or in any other kind of addictions or things that we've talked about, that these spirits just automatically leave because these people have confessed Christ. That's not what we see in Scripture. As we said, those demons have to be driven out. And secondly, the Holy Spirit has to come in. Okay? If by the initial contact with the Holy Spirit, one or two demons did, by God's sovereign act, uh, get driven out and go out into dry places looking for another place to dwell. If that person never receives the filling of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit does not come in and occupy that place, then this is what Jesus was talking about, about the Spirit coming back and finding the house swept and clean. So that spirit enters back in and brings other spirits, which may very well be these sneaky spirits we talked about of re religious pride and arrogance and judgmentalism and Phariseeism, whatever we want to call it, right? That we wouldn't recognize right away as demon spirits. We think they're righteous attributes, but they're demon spirits. So these people can be occupied by demons, and those demons are never driven out because uh, they never are confronted with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to a degree where those things are even exposed, and they've been taught to believe that they can't have demons. The preachers are telling them they can't have demons, so the issue never comes up. And even those who have received the Holy Spirit, okay, and spoken in tongues and so on and so forth, yes, they've received the Holy Spirit, but their flesh is another matter. And if they open their soul and their body to demonic entities, uh, whether those entities actually take up complete resonance or whether they, they just come and afflict and oppress it, it doesn't really matter. It still steals the quality of life of the Christian and does what you talked about earlier, which is to drive the person away from a true intimacy with God and a true service to Christ and keeps that person enslaved to sin. Well, let's talk about how people can get free. And I really think there's a lot more than just confessing Jesus as Lord. There's being filled with the Holy Ghost as evidenced by speaking in tongues. There's humility, yeah. I think, is a big part of it. Really being honest about your life and some of the things that you've done. I think it's imperative to confess any and all known sin, even actually including confessing things that we're, we don't know about, because even generational stuff can be, you know, we're not responsible for it, but we are affected by it. And I think yeah. unforgiveness is huge as well. So repentance huge yes. breaking all connections with the occult if someone is still dabbling and even if you say well i haven't played with an ouija board since i was 12 well those things are still gateways doorways and if unless they're cast out you could still have things that have come in and attach themselves and still be afflicting you so it's very important to ask the holy spirit to reveal anything that is occultic yeah. anything that you've done Living by God's word is very huge. Being in God's word, obedience and discipleship, and, and really right fellowship, those are those are huge too, aren't they? Well, right fellowship's a big one, Sheila, because if you're not around people who believe in this, what we're talking about, if you're around people who are also walking in the deception that, you know, Christianity can be practiced in the natural realm and there's no spiritual conflict going on around it, then you'll never get free from such a thing. 
I mean, not that you can't get free by yourself. Just like I tell people they can get baptized in the Holy Spirit by themselves if they don't have anyone to pray with them. People can also get delivered. But, I mean, deliverance is a very, very... It can be a very harrowing experience for someone, and I definitely recommend, uh, if at all possible, for other believers to be involved, even if only for comfort and moral support, because it's a very, very scary situation where, you know, and the Lord has, you know, created the body of Christ for a reason. He wants us to be there for one another and to assist one another to get free. And the other thing is this. I think this is a big part here, Sheila. Shame. You know, the enemy uses shame. People don't want to admit that they might have something that they have to get set free of because they're ashamed. They don't want other people to look down on them and think that they're crazy or that they're sick or they're dirty or perverted or twisted because, you know, some spirit has taken up residence in them. And let's keep in mind that many demon spirits, these wicked excrement, have entered into people through abuse, sexual abuse, ritual abuse, and many other things. Many people have contracted demons not because of their own sin. Right. And generational things that come in through the family bloodline, those, you know, those they don't have any dealing over either. But, you know, that's a very good point because shame, guilt, rejection, depression, rebellion, despair, self-pity, doubt, unbelief, confusion, deception, even insanity is is a huge thing. And when a lot of people go down the road of homosexuality or fornication or adultery, well, then they have other problems that come with that. Yes, and you know, the other thing, too, is like we spoke about at the beginning of the program, society is not calling that big list that you just gave. Society is not calling those things sins. Self-pity, depression, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, all these things. Society is victimizing people, saying that someone's a victim if they're struggling with those issues. Yet if we look at scripture, scripture calls these things sin. So how can I get free of a demon who has attached itself to one of these sin areas if I do not recognize that to be sin? Well, like abortion is just freedom of choice. And if you're a homosexual, well, it's just a lifestyle choice, Danny. I'll see that. And that's beautiful. You brought out two extremes, but I mean that are dominating our culture, right? So if I believe that God created me like this, how can I believe that's really a spirit speaking through me if I have been taught that God created me like this? And this is the problem. And the demons are hiding behind that. And the churches, and God helped them and forgive them, the churches and the pastors and the Christian leaders that are getting up under and fortifying that lie and damning these souls, God help them. We have to stand up and deal with sin and say, call sin, sin. And I mean, those are extreme outward physical sins. Paul said in Romans 1, they show up not only in the soul, the psychic sickness of man, 
but literally in the body. I mean, I don't know how many AIDS epidemics it's going to take for people to admit that there's something twisted about that lifestyle right. and that there's a consequence that even comes into the physical body with it, okay? And the same with abortion. I mean, the torment that these women go through as murderers, and that's what they are. And let's talk about this real fast. I don't know how much time we have. You know, all this veteran worship and all this veteran cajoling and, and, and uh, giving consolation to these soldiers who come back who have been um, either physically or mentally scarred. Well, these murderers also contract demons on the uh, the war field. Yeah, under the guise of post-traumatic stress disorder. Of exactly. Course. These are demons. They're tormented. You cannot be a murderer. And be free from demonic oppression yeah, and I, I really demonic agree with you. possession. Totally agree with you. But we don't see it as murder. See, again, right? They're defending their country outside of their country, if that makes any sense. Well, they're just following but, orders, Danny. You know, that's what uh, they thought at Auschwitz. That's yeah. what they thought at Treblinka, too, right? Obviously, as far as people today recognizing they have some issues, they know they need deliverance. What are your um, thoughts on how to go about getting proper deliverance for people? Uh, you just need spirit-filled believers who truly know their authority in Christ and don't give demons a stage to take authority over those things and get them out. And, of course, the person has to be willing to bear their soul, so to speak, to trust. This is a big issue. It's hard because there's such a breakdown of trust in society today. But this is what takes faith for someone that to believe that the Holy Spirit will lead them to other believers that they can trust to help them to come through this uh, deliverance process. And it's not necessarily, I mean, I've had some incredible dramatic deliverances but not every deliverance is like you're saying, a head-spinning, vomiting, crazy thing. Not every deliverance is like that. Some are, and even if it's like that, it's okay. If we're really walking in the power and the authority and the love, okay, that's a big one, and the love and compassion of the Holy Spirit, remember, if we truly believe that we've given our lives to Christ and we've given him control of it, the Lord is not going to torture us, and he's not going to torment us. He's going to move in deliverance, just like he does in everything else, with compassion. And he's going to get us free from what we need to get free of. He's going to heal us, and he's going to fill us in that, in that place. Well, folks, if you want to get a hold of Danny, his information is, of course, at godisnotreligious.net. It is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. Get Danny's books, but particularly get Who Are the Aliens? I think this is one of the best books that really breaks down what we're dealing with, especially with all this talk about aliens. This is an absolutely fantastic book, folks. And Danny, I'm so glad you came back on and do come back and see us soon. Thank you, Sheila. Always a blast. Thank you very much. Thank you, Danny. Folks, that was Dr. Danny Morano, the amazing anointed teacher and preacher. Folks, do me a favor and shoot Danny an email and 
Let him know you appreciate his teaching. These people take time out of their tremendously busy schedules to address these issues, and it's the least we can do to give them our appreciation. Very few people have the prolific insight and Holy Spirit wisdom, discernment and knowledge, along with the boldness to teach on many topics that you won't find preachers talking about. So I ask you to do that again. Danny's information is linked there at weekendvigilante.com. I'm interested in hearing from those that attended the encounter on the Sewanee event this past weekend with the amazing Augusto Perez. My contact info is on my website. And if you are listening in today, please shoot me an email and let me know if you like the show. I would appreciate the feedback. We have a great lineup this week, folks. We have Ted Brower, Gerald Salente, and many more amazing guests. And if you would like to advertise on this program, your product or service, get in touch with me as I am now looking for sponsors and partners in this broadcast effort. Don't assume I can stay on the air without your support. It is only possible with your help. Folks, thank you for tuning into the broadcast tonight. Good night and God bless.